Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for coming to uh, the last of this year's um, uh, public lecture series held by the Trinity Center for Asian Studies. Okay, so uh, tonight it's my pleasure to be welcoming, uh, welcoming Dr. Teo Wan uh, Van Gettner from UCC, University College Cork, uh, who is a lecturer in Japanese studies um, there. Uh, the title tonight is Rakugo, Traditional Storytelling in Com Contemporary Japan. So just a little uh, note about um, Dr. Wang Gettner. Before coming to Ireland, uh, he taught at the Fire University of Berlin and the University of Manchester. He was active as a stand-up comedian in Japan while conducting research on contemporary Japanese comedy. He regularly organized events with professional performers from, uh, in Japan and has performed Rakugo in Germany, Japan, the UK, and Ireland. So let's put our hands together for Dr. Van Kettner. Um, today I would like to talk to you about um, traditional Japanese storytelling, Rakugo. Um, and although I'm going to do a little performance afterwards, uh, first maybe a few words about what Rakugo is, because not everybody here uh, might have seen it so far. Rakugo is a kind of um, one-person theater. Normally it's a man, much, in much fewer cases a woman. The performer is actually acting out a story. Some people refer to it as sit-down comedy as opposed to um, rest and stand-up comedy because the performer is sitting or kneeling down. And in the case, in the story, the performer will normally take up several roles and then actually perform a funny episode or a funny story. What's interesting about Rakugo is that normally it would be referred to as a traditional classic performing, performing arts, or kotengeno in Japan. Um, and performers do quite a lot to sort of um, you know, bring forward this idea that they're doing something traditional. They will wear kimono, they will have certain traditional props, they will make lots of references to the Edo period, so to 17th, 18th, 19th century Japan. Um, and they will normally sort of really talk about their, their role as keeping a tradition um, alive. Also, the, the, the organization of the Rakugo world, the way you become a, a professional performer, um, would involve certain traditions like going to a master, begging the master, please, I want to be your student. And then normally the, the master will send you away, and you have to go again, bring a present. Um, and even you know, this kind of process is part of something which is perceived as being very traditional. Now it's interesting, and um, I'm kind of a bit skeptical about this whole idea about tradition, that if you dig really deep, you can actually find out that Rakugo is in fact something that is still pretty much alive, that the idea of tradition has maybe something to do with promoting the art, of course something with nostalgia, that people sort of want to go back to the good old days, um, but that in fact Rakugo is still a, a very much alive art form that's changing, and even now in the 20th and 21st century, there's actually still a lot of interesting things going on. And this kind of tension between a perceived tradition and at the same time being very much alive and actually being a modern form of entertainment is something that um, really interests me. Now, um, three pictures to start with. The pictures on the left is from, let's say, my own Rakugo master. I never went through this whole process, but I have a Rakugo master who teaches me something, who also presented me with this beautiful kimono, by the way, um, Sanyute Ryuraku. And he's sort of touring around the world, and he's doing, I mean, in Japan, he's of course doing the normal Rakugo in Japanese. But if he goes abroad, he will actually perform Rakugo, and you can see the flags there, 
Spanish, German, Italian, English, Portuguese, French, and recently he has also picked up Chinese, Mandarin Chinese as well. He will sort of um, combine these languages in his performances abroad. Or even if you're in Tokyo and you go to the German Culture Center or the Australian Embassy, you can see him doing these kind of performances there. Then the performer here in the middle is also a professional performer from Japan, Shunkutei um, Chinosuke. Uh, uh, and he's going abroad performing in Japanese, but you see it kind of on the, from the right side there, actually the surtitles or subtitles, which um, you know, bring the translation of what he's doing in Japanese. And finally, there's the lady here on the right, that's Diane Kijitsu, um, a native of Liverpool, who has been performing um, Rakugo in Japanese and English for a very long time in Japan now. And all of these kind of approaches in Japan will normally trigger a certain reaction. Some people will really, really enjoy that and say, that's great, that's fun, that's really amazing, that's entertainment. But some people actually say, oh, wait, that's, not, that's no Rakugo, that's no real Rakugo any longer, because Rakugo has to be in Japanese. Rakugo can't have subtitles because then it sort of gets into this multimedia, multimodal thing, which it actually shouldn't be. And there are people who say foreigners shouldn't perform Rakugo at all. All the Japanese people can really understand the whole essence. I've been told actually foreigners look very ugly wearing kimono, so sorry about mm -hmm. me um, exposing you to that. And some people would actually say if I had more space, I would have put a fourth picture, but Diane sort of is very good sort of combining the idea yeah, of the foreigner. Some people actually say women shouldn't do Rakugo because then there's something off as well, um, which, which I'm not going to talk about much today. But I will try to convince you today that all of this can still be pretty much Rakugo, and that in some way you can actually really link it back to what real traditional Rakugo really is. Now, some of us have, some of us maybe like anime, or some of us have students who like anime, and one of the latest anime hits, which you can also watch here on a streaming platform called Crunchyroll, was an anime based on this manga set in the Rakugo world called Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. You can watch it with the English subtitles. If you don't pay, you get lots of advertisements every 10 minutes, but you can watch it for free. It's all legal. And that, that anime sort of caught my attention um, pretty much last year. And it's about these two performers here. So it's sort of on two layers. There's one kind of, you know, one, one, one part of the story, one layer of the story sort of set around the Second World War when these two young performers started their career when they were young. And then there's a second layer, which is sort of in the contemporary times, probably like in the 1980s or something like that, when one of them is now an established and well-respected Rakugo master, and kind of go backward and forward between present day um, and the past. And these two performers are called Skeraku and Kikuriku, and they kind of represent two different approaches to Rakugo which are maybe the main problem we sometimes even have to talk about what Rakugo really is. First of all, there's this guy called Kikoriko, who is um, also appearing in the present day part of the story, because in the present part of the story, he's actually the grand master, maybe the most respected Rakugo performer of its day. Um, and in his own life story, however, he doesn't really start, he doesn't really have a very good start. He's kind of pushed into the Rakugo world because he comes from a poor family, and they more or less even sort of push him onto the Rakugo mask and say, here, yeah, this is the only way to survive, otherwise he will starve. Um, so he just does it because he has to do it. 
at the beginning, he tries to focus very much on a very sort of precise style, really imitating his master, being almost a little bit scared about doing mistakes, to trying to do it very flawless, and just sort of being really obsessed with perfectionism, perfectionism, do it as perfect as he can do. And the audience doesn't really like him. They might sort of feel this kind of tension that's, that's within him. They might find that kind of record a bit boring. They, they might think, you know, the master, this master is perfect, so why do we need this sort of copy of the master again? And only later in his life, when he's kind of taking inspiration from his, art, let's say, artistic brother, Stands learning Rakugo under the same master at the same time, he becomes more successful, sort of taking certain hints from Skeroku um, as well. Nevertheless, it is Kikuhiko who inherits the name of the Grand Master and is then known as Yakumo in the present part of the story. It is then um, in another story part actually taking up another young man and sort of trying to teach him what Rakugo is all about. Then we have this guy Skeroku which is actually a name taken from Kabuki. Maybe some of you who are interested in Japanese theatre um, see some connection there as well. And he's a very different type of performer. He actually loves Rakugo. As a, as a, as a young boy, he already, you know, has almost remembered all the story. He's just really, really enjoying talking and performing and making audiences laugh. And he's sort of taking a freestyle approach because he's really interested in you know, meeting the audience. He's looking at the audience thinking, okay, what kind of rakugo will the audience like today? What do they want to hear? And how can I actually change my performance style to really make the audience laugh and to really make the audience enjoy what's going on? And the audience just loves him. They think that he is the one who's going to be the next yakugo and that he's going to be the greatest rakugo star ever. Um, there are some problems for him. He's kind of a hedonistic lifestyle. He loves drinking. He loves, you know, going out with lots of women and geisha and spending money. All the things that rock performers may be supposed to do. Um, but there's also tension with the master of the two. That um, he's kind of suspected of having not enough respect for the master. In one scene, actually, he's really accusing his own master, saying, "Oh, actually, your rakugo is very old-fashioned and very boring. No one wants to see you anymore." And then he's almost kicked out of the artistic family for a while. So he likes to get into loads of tra trouble, um, which might actually make him more popular with the audience in the end. But then in the story, his early death sort of prevents him from having a long and successful career by himself. Now, if we jump into nowadays um, contemporary Japan, I will come back to these two um, performers from the anime in a moment. Let's see what's happening now in Japan, and let's see where Rakugo is sort of situated um, in contemporary entertainment. For maybe the last, I think maybe 10 or 15 years, since I, actually since I started being interested in Rakugo, you will hear, you will hear the term Rakugo boom quite a lot, and they also use it in in Japanese, they say Rakugo boom. Um, basically, pointing the finger that suddenly, maybe in the 21st century, when everyone was maybe kind of expecting Rakugo to you know, die, almost die out because people thought it was old fashioned, Rakugo is doing surprisingly well. It's surprisingly alive, um, especially um, in terms of certain number of performers who can pull in big numbers of audiences and they can sometimes fill halls. Hundreds, thousands of people come and see them. So not quite as good as today, but we're getting there probably on the long run. And we also have this interest in Rakugo in other genres on, in the entertainment industry. So we have television programs, television dramas, anime, manga. 
we have, I think, computer games that deal with it in a way. Um, and the popularity of rock and roll actually seems bigger than, let's say, 30, 40 years ago. And there's even a kind of pool of young performers who want to become rock and roll performers as well. And the drama here from 2005, Tiger and Dragon, starred um, two famous singers or idols, um, Nagata Tomoya and Okada Junichi from sort of boy bands. I think the word boy band is a bit old-fashioned. use that anymore. Um, but they started this drama, and they pulled in new fans, people who would normally not be interested in Rakugo. They just say, oh, I love these two guys, and I, I'm actually interested in what they're doing um, with Rakugo. And legend says that actually some fans of them actually called the Rakugo theaters and said, is, um, is Nagasekun performing tonight? And then they had to be told, no, Nagasekun isn't actually a real Rakugo performer. He's just playing Rakugo performer here um, in the drama. There's another star, Kokumuntaichi, who played a Rakugo performer in, in a popular film, which was very successful in 2007. We have this manga anime series, Joshi Raku, which is kind of set in the future, focusing on uh, female performers here. They also had a stage version with Nobizaka 46, so young idol group, um, getting involved into Rakugo. And um, we have another boom of a sort of almost, you know, classic TV show, Shoten, which started in 1966, which is suddenly very popular again, where you have Rakugo performers, not performing Rakugo, but sort of inter interacting in some kind of, you know, variety show or quiz where they have to give funny answers to certain, certain um, cues by the, by the host here um, as well. And even if we look at the TV show world, we kind of see this kind of merging of traditional performers, veteran performers, trying to sort of come together with younger performers. So a popular comedy show uh, run by National Broadcaster NHK between 94 and 2011 featured these two hosts, one of them a Rakugo performer, and the other one, young singer, actress, um, who would then interact together and actually talk about Rakugo um, as well. For example, when they had um, Rakugo master Utamaru here talking about other Rakugo masters, and Utamaru would talk about his relationship to the past, to the Edo period, why he's respecting this old master Enshu here so much. And again, as I showed you, have this young, pretty <laughs> singer there sitting there, we could probably talk about this in terms of gender relationships again, that the young woman just sort of holding up the, the sign and saying, yes, yes, ah, I saw this guy. Um, but nevertheless, probably some of the fans of, of her would then also be, become interested in the Rakugo as well and get that kind of cue here as well. Now what's actually happening in Japan, and there are some, let's say, Rakugo critics or journalists who have been writing about that, who have been very interested in the whole phenomenon of the Rakugo boom. And my favorite of these critics is um, this guy, Hiroshi Kazuo. If you can read Japanese, I definitely recommend this book for you. It's not very big, it's uh, 150 pages, quite big print as well. So he wasn't, he's not a very eager writer, I think. Um, and he's sort of talking about the Rakugo boom, calling it the kind of paradigm shift, the paradigm change has actually appeared, maybe around the turn of the century. That we now have a decreased interest in rules and norms, and we have much more interest in the unique style, the unique character of each individual performer, and that this will actually lead to this new, this new interest, um, this, this kind of new energy that will pull in new audiences altogether. 
And she also is saying this is actually something that Rakugo was always all about. So this is actually a rediscovery of what Rakugo might have been before the Second World War, or even the, the period, when, according to Hidase, these norms and rules would not have existed to the same, uh, to the same degree as they might have then existed in the 1970s, 1980s, um, 1990s. With other authors like Horiyu Kenichi, who's also talking about you know, a new interest in Rakugo, those of you maybe who are interested in theater studies and performance studies um, might even take some sort of hints from theory. I was very interested, for example, to read that Horiyu sort of compares the Rakugo performance with an event where there's some kind of energy happening between the performer and the audience, um, which is actually an approach you will find in theater studies if you read works of theater theorists like um, Erika Fischer-Lichter, for example, who are also very much interested in theater studies to kind of go away from the idea that there's a text as an artifact, and it's only the job of the actors to sort of recreate this artifact again and again, but instead getting this idea that every time something is performed, something unique is really going to happen. This is an event, um, and it's only a one, one-time-off event as well. And this interest has never been really part of Rakugo criticism before, because in the past, maybe in the 60s, the 70s, people writing about Rakugo would also have been obsessed with much more focus on the actual stories, sort of analyzing certain Rakugo stories like literature, saying there are certain types of, you know, categories of punchlines or certain categories of characters, um, and this is what Rakugo criticism should be about. And it's almost like these, let's say, old-school Rakugo critics never really wondered what's actually funny when you're sitting in the Rakugo theater and you're going to enjoy that kind of performance um, at all. Now, in a way, um, this kind of different approach to Rakugo, if you say, okay, is Rakugo something that should be based on norms and rules, and should, should a performer sort of, you know, just put all his or her energy into following these rules and recreating something that's kind of there in ideal, ideal performance, or should the performer use his or her material as material to still create something unique, create something um, entertaining altogether? We will actually see that, although in terms of record criticism, there seems to be a new debate. There seems to be some kind of debate among performers from early on. Um, there's this article by Armin Sweeney in um, the Asian uh, in journal for something the journal name now. It's, it's, it's at the end if you're interested. And he's gone to Japan as an anthropologist in 1978, 1979, and he's studying um, the Rakugo performance world. And he's saying that there's some kind of gap between two groups of performers in 1979 already. And he's calling those two groups the traditionalists and the reformers um, at that point. And he says the traditionalists are those who really believe there is a Rakugo text that sort of, you know, there's the master and he's in possession of the text. And when you start learning this text as a student, you have to do it in the same way as the master and you're not allowed to change anything in the world, so you almost have to write it down for yourself and really remember everything, and you're not allowed to change it. Um, having certain consequences, saying if the audience doesn't understand the text, because maybe, maybe the Japanese is old-fashioned, or maybe the audience is too young, 
then it's the audience's fault. It's not the performance responsibility to make the audience understand what's going on. The audience is supposed to you know, study Rakugo and follow it. On the other side, we have a group of team calls them reformers. And they are much more interested in saying, you know, you know, language is alive, we should change the language, we should be able to talk to certain audiences, and just sort of keeping, you know, keeping the text in a form that maybe was performed by other masters is actually doing much more harm than it will do anything good for, for the Rakugo. And this is maybe mostly represented by uh, this performer here, Tatekawa Danchi, maybe one of the most famous performers most feared performers of Bali died last year, I think, or two years ago. Um, and he is very famous for something he wrote in, in an article in 1965 already, in which he criticized younger performance for imitating the performance style of one of the famous masters of its day, Yanagi Kosan. Um, and Tatekawadanchi is not critical of Kosan, Kosan being his own master, and Tatekawadanchi would say, actually, Kosan's maybe the greatest performers ever, and I totally respect him. But there's something strange if those 20 year old boys try to perform Rakugo just in the same way like this very old master has a career of 30 years. There must be a difference. There's just something odd here if they perform in the same way altogether. And in this, in, this, in this essay or book, he actually puts out a warning and saying, if we don't change our attitude to Rakugo, then Rakugo is going to change into a frozen art. And he says it's going to be, one day it's going to be like in the North Theater. And all people come to the North Theater, most people don't really understand what's going on. Everyone kind of feels, oh yeah, this is classical art, so I should kind of enjoy it. But in reality, 30% of the people fall asleep. Um, and this is what he's kind of predicting for Rakugo, if there's no paradigm change altogether. So he would be one of those who really had the idea that Rakugo has to change for the audience to be able to enjoy it. But at this point, in the 1670s, this idea gets kind of pushed out. He's actually leaving the Rakugo Association, putting up his own school. And for a long time, he and the students are kind of, you know, pe people don't really want to, the other performers don't really want to, have to do anything with them. Um, which is still kind of lingering on nowadays. If you have younger performers associated with Danji, they will still sometimes you know, refer to the, the Tadekawa school as some kind of Rakugo cult, because at some point they were doing something totally different than everybody else. Um, and although Danji remained very, very popular, he was never really you know, able to perform at the same venues as the other performers of his day. And what I find interesting about this is that I think in the anime, um, we have this kind of these two types of ideas what Rakugo should be or what Rakugo should be about as well. And in a way, I think Skeraku kind of re represents the idea that Danshi put forward, saying we have to perform in an entertaining way, even though the other Rakugo performers might hate me for that and they might think it's wrong. But I'm really doing what I'm, you know, what I'm convinced of. Um, and while Danshi is pushed out of the Rakugo society. I'm scared of that in the, in the anime, the manga has to die um, uh, uh, in an accident. There's even sort of, you know, there's even the idea that he might be killed by other Rakugo performers there as well. Um, at the same time, we have these masters. I already talked about Kosan. There's another master at the same time called Kunkei Shincho, um, who was regarded probably in, in the same kind of high esteem. And this would be the masters where we set this example. 
and that would be so influential in post-war Japan that all the younger performers, many younger performers, would actually follow him. And I think this is kind of what's happening here too, to our friend Kikuro, who is really thinking, not of Kosan, but of master in the story, and then he's just obsessed, you know, I really have to do what this guy is doing, otherwise it's not real Rakugo um, altogether. Now, if you think about the Rakugo boom, and if you think about it's kind of happening starting with the 21st century, um, there's something um, Kikuro wrote, and Probably performers wouldn't say that because of course they can't, you know, the performers can't really say it's a good thing the masters died. They didn't say that. But in a way it's interesting to see that the Rakugo boom pretty much started after these two grandmasters passed away, 2001 and 2002. Um, you see Shincho much younger than Kosan actually. And very soon after that, um, the performers kind of started to, you know, do their unique individual thing again because these two masters had passed away. And probably the pressure to really follow Kosan and Shinshu was just, was just not there anymore. So this problem of lacking respect wouldn't be an issue. And Hiroshi says this really sort of really offered lots of freedom, not only to young performers, but even to some performers who would already be in their 40s and 50s, would suddenly start, you know, being much more open, trying new things, experimenting with Yakubu much more than they used to do. And he also saying this is what Rakugo was really all about, maybe in the first half of the 20th century, as we would enjoy each individual performance and each individual science. And again, to quote the other guy, Hori, he actually, perform, he actually compares a Rakugo performance to a jazz concert. And he says all these Rakugo numbers are to a certain degree standards. And if you go to a jazz concert, you might recognize another snowy weather, or I did it my way, or whatever, it's probably not very jazz, but you actually are going to enjoy the individual performance of the individual musician. And if you know the original piece, it's probably going to be much more fun for you, because you kind of see, oh, this guy has this kind of approach, and it's putting more emphasis on that. So all these performers have this big repertoire of classical stories, but now they are much more interested in really offering their own interpretations of these, of these stories. And um, we see this focus of this new individuality, um, for example, and performers, you know, some, some younger performers will actually say, I'm not even doing these stories anymore, I'm really sort of turning my Rakugo performance into some kind of stand-up comedy where I just talk about myself, because I really want to introduce my individuality to the performers, There's something called the Makura in Japanese. And we have performers like um, Shinpute Shota, who's also on this TV show, Shoten, who, is, who became famous as a performer of um, so-called Shinsaku Rakugo. So not performing the classical stories which sort of lead back to the Edo period, but creating his own material, writing own stories, and then performing his own very own stories. Um, and he would become famous for that. But recently, maybe starting in 2005, 2006, he also became much more interested in these classical repertoire stories, and saying, I'm going back to these classic Rakugo stories, and I'm performing them in ore style. And ore means me or I in Japanese. It's a very manly word for Japanese. So it's really sort of showing I'm doing it in my way. I'm doing it in my own style. And I don't really, you know, I love these stories. I love the Rakugo stories. But I'm not eaten up by all this respect for what people did before I went on the stage. So I'm just going to really, really, um, really, really enjoy it. 
And that kind of brings me back to the question at the beginning. If we see performers performing in different languages, performers you know, trying to work in different medias, female performers who have to perform different than men, maybe foreigners trying to do something new. All these performers nowadays can actually work in a space where trying to do something new, trying to do something different, has now turned back into being mainstream Rakugo again. And interestingly, if you go and talk to Rakugo fans in Japan, if you talk to a younger Rakugo fans in Japan, they're embracing all these different kinds of performances and all these different kinds of styles. And it's mostly, um, interestingly, it's mostly Japanese people abroad, sometimes, you know, working at the embassy and working for the Japan Foundation, who haven't really caught up with what's going on in, in Rakugo um, at the beginning, and who are still very much you know, opposed to the idea of even having, perform, having a performer maybe perform in a different language. Although, if you think of it, even performing you know, in the language of the country where you're performing, is probably exactly this idea, I have to perform in a way that the audience is going to really enjoy it mostly, because I can't expect the audience to you know, memorize 1,000 Japanese words the evening before in order to understand my story altogether. And I think this, this space really creates a whole range of new possibilities. Um, and um, you know, the Asian folklore studies um, creating a lot of new possibilities. So I think the world of Rakugo in Japan is, is going to stay very, very interesting for the long future. It's something that might, of course, celebrate as traditional arts in certain moments, wearing the kimono, um, talking about the Edo period is still going to entertain us um, for a very, very long time. And I'm looking forward to that. <laughs>